Welcome to the For the Church podcast. <laughs> As you love it, I'm trying to mix it up, I man. Tried not to laugh. It's man. another. I'm sorry. It's a, yet another great gospel-centered resource from the Theological Seminary, known as Midwestern Baptist. That's right. Currently I'm known just, as I, Midwestern I don't know. Baptist. This is the remix. This is good. <laughs> I'm in the Beat Laboratory. <laughs> No, I'm in the Spurgeon Library. We, uh, we we need a beat laboratory. That's true. I don't know what that would look like. Probably no one such as you or I should, That's exactly should right. be developing that. <laughs> but I'm with Ronnie Kurtz. He's managing editor for For the Church, among 15 other titles. Um, That's we, right. er, everyone here gets like 10 titles. That's right. It, yep. Yeah, so we all do multiple things. There's a bunch of Swiss Army knives around here. Um, but we're glad you're here. It's it's it, This is the first episode of the new year. Happy New Year. Yeah. So this will come out, I think, January 8th. Uh, it's November 8th when we're recording this. So it's kind of weird. We're going through time. <laughs> it's one reason why we don't do you know do a lot of hot takes on, on, exactly on, right. on these kind of episodes. Because like a month, two months later, some of the stuff is just cold. Yeah. You know, the way the social media cycle runs. Although I do have a little, uh, you know, um, wild card to throw in at the end. Okay. Uh, that we maybe we can do a cold take okay. on something that's hot. A cold take, uh, a cold take <laughs> that's on January eighth kind of... for something that's hot on November eighth, I... and we'll see. I, I'm, it's an experiment. <laughs> can we talk about it in such a way that it will still have resonance two months from now? I think more impressive is if we could talk about what's hot in January now Ooh, in November. That what will be hot in January? <laughs> I don't know. What, what, I don't know what the new. You know, every so we're, we're ramping up in the Christmas season now. Um, this is gonna be really relevant because we January eighth. People are done with Christmas. Yeah, that's right. But like the toys, the toys that come out, there's always like a hot toy. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't have the little children anymore. <laughs> I remember when it was Tickle Me Elmo. I remember in the early eighties. Um, it was the Cabbage Patch. Like that was the big deal. The Cabbage Patch doll. Like the stores are selling out and people are driving trying to find. You know, Cabbage Patch dolls, and they're selling on the black market. You know, this is before the internet. So, like, there's, like, shady alleyway deals for Cabbage Patch. I don't know what that is anymore. So, that would be cool if we could figure out what the hot yeah. toy is. Are you doing well, man? It's I'm just, doing well. Yeah. Let's just pretend that it's actually the new year already. How's the new year treating you, <laughs> Yeah, honey? my new year's resolution is still intact. That's so amazing. The one that I haven't made, but I, yeah. I haven't failed it yet. Uh, that's right. <laughs> it's good. January's been great. Good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's excellent. I was um, reminiscing this morning about um, how I missed having uh, uh, my coffee from yesterday, and thinking about the way we talk about coffee. This okay. is some. This is a, here's a hot topic. Okay, um, literally the way people talk about coffee. So I I have to have coffee every day. I think about it every morning. Amen. But it, like it's a deal. Like there's t- people wearing t-shirts like first coffee and don't talk to me till I have. And I think like this is a widespread drug addiction yeah. that's socially acceptable. Yeah, that we all just agreed upon. It. Re- replace coffee with cocaine and think like there's no suburban soccer mom walking around with a first cocaine <laughs> sweatshirt on. <laughs> My, you know, you may talk to me once the you know the cocaine is gone. You know yeah. those sorts of wow. you know mugs. Um, so I think I've really uncovered something here that that uh, needs further analysis. Yeah, I'm going to leave that one to you. Caffeine's a drug, <laughs> um, but I, I've got my Starbucks, That's which right. is good. Um, yeah. but it's something I was thinking about. Hey, we're doing a mailbag episode. What a great way to start off the year with some uh, reader submitted questions, and it's good. Like there was so many to, to choose from. Yeah. Normally, I put a call out Facebook, Twitter, everything else, and we get like six questions, and four of them are jokes from Brandon <laughs> Smith. You know, it's right. And so we That's have right. like two. We got to make up some. We like make up names. You know, uh, you know, Jack Ringwater did not submit a question <laughs> this time around. I think he he learned his lesson last That's time. That's right. Uh, but we had like maybe forty submissions. Yeah. And so I had to kind of weed through. If you don't hear your question, very sorry. Doesn't mean it wasn't good. 
Um, sometimes the questions are so large and, and would require so much detail that it just to give, you know, three or four minutes mm-hmm. to it, um, you know, I just don't feel like does it justice um, or that, you know, or we might would even be somewhat distracting or um, <clears throat> not necessarily harmful, but um, it just deserves more time. And That's so, right. you know, some things just merit more. So uh, I picked questions that I thought maybe we could bat around for a little bit and, and share some thoughts on. The first one is this. This is from Jeremy on Twitter. He says, what happens if a lead pastor changes their view on secondary issues that are also stated as the local church's position? He says, think hell or eternal conscious torment or complementarianism. How much latitude do elders, pastors, staff get? Do they get less than their flock? What, if any, limits should Mm. there be? Let me repeat the first part of the question because there's lots of details there. What happens if a lead pastor changes their view on secondary issues that are also stated as the local church's position? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think two things in ecclesiology, the study of the church, help us here. Uh, One is church covenants and actually being confessional, having a church covenant, because then you can self-analyze. You know, if if you, pastor, are have changed your belief on a theological reality such that you are now out of bounds with the church covenant, that is a big deal. And if you have a, an agreed-upon confession that, that's supposed to provide the, the boundary markers and the guidelines for your local body, uh, you should be able to fit within those boundary markers and guidelines. So I think a, a covenant uh, that has a confessional document is very helpful here. And then also this is, Jared, we almost need to start a counter for how many times we say this, but this is another argument for church elders. Yeah. Because if if I have a theological position shift, I'm going to submit it to my elders and, and let them decide uh, what, what my role needs to be. Do I need to tell the church about my theological shift? Do I need to be removed from the church yeah. because of my theological shift? I'm going, to, I'm going to entrust their wisdom to pastor me in those moments. Yeah, well, and I think it's important to also note, um, you know, he that he's talking about a secondary matter, which I, I assume he's referring to, um, you know, kind of the the – the, the triage concept where you have of first course. order doctrines yeah. or first order beliefs, which would um, uh, really unite um, Orthodox Christianity. So these are things that every true Christian must believe, like mm-hmm. the Trinity and the, the deity of Christ and, and all those sorts of things. And then there are secondary matters, which is what he's referencing, secondary, uh, which uh, it's usually uh, define or determine which Christians can fellowship with each other. That's right. So be, you know, um, in views of baptism or complementarianism, those sorts of things which might determine, um, you know, distinct fellowships. And then there are tertiary, third sort of uh, distinctions in which people within the same church can disagree and still be in covenant with each other. And that could be, it could be, depending on what's codified in in, in the church's statement of faith or bylaws or what patch have to sign off on, those things could be like views of the end times, the timing of the Lord's return. It could be Calvinism, Arminianism, that sort of thing. If if it's not, yeah, yeah, if it's not codified Mm -hmm. um, per se. But to me, that's sort of a standout from Jeremy's question, which is that, um, so he says secondary, which means um, if, you know, if he's using those categories, these are things um, through which uh, churches fellowship around, they Mm -hmm. determine fellowship with each other. But also he says it's stated in the local church's position, Okay. Um, by which I assume he, he, he means that it's somehow codified. It's in bylaws or it's in a statement of faith that yeah. the church has yeah. uh, affirmed. So if a lead pastor changes their view on that, mm. um, then it's very likely that he either needs to ch- change back real quick yeah. <laughs> or if by conscience and conviction he cannot, that he probably um, yeah. you know, should not be the pastor of that church. Exactly right. Because he, he's now outside the bounds of what the church has decided. 
these are the views under which we assemble. These are the views that we collectively affirm. To fellowship here means affirming these views. That's right. Which is why I think every church really needs to be careful about what they codify in their statement of faith, really determining what are first and and, and truly second order issues. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I, you know, the uh, you know the strength I think of, of the Baptist faith and message, um, where we have our unique distinctives in terms of you know baptism in particular that would distinguish us from say true Christians who are Presbyterian or, or right. Anglican. Um, but we also we don't get into the weeds in terms of uh, you know the the you know, rapture or second, you know, we, we believe the Lord is returning, um, but we don't say it's going to be, you know, before the tribulation, post-tribulation. So mm-hmm. we say this is an open-handed view. You can have, you know, local churches can decide that this mm-hmm. is particular to them, um, but we're encouraging that local churches grant liberty, that multiple Christians could have different views mm-hmm. um, on this. Now, here's a related question. Jeremy didn't quite ask it, but what are your thoughts on having a more restrictive yeah. or more specific statement of faith for elders or for yeah. leaders. So I've seen that um, mm-hmm. quite common where somebody would say, hey, as a church, to be a member, you affirm the Baptist faith, the message. That's our statement of faith for the church. And yet to be an elder here, you have to sign off on, say, the second London Baptist right. Confession or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's what our church, Emmaus, where I pastor, that's okay. what we do. So okay. we we kind of jokingly call it the double standard doctrine. <laughs> uh, double standard in a good way, though, that it ends up being more restrictive because not only are we trying to protect fellowship with something like a second tier, you know, codified doctrine statement for just the, the, the members of the church. Yeah. We're also trying to protect unity in, in the elder team. And yeah. so, yeah, so we, we basically do that. We, 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 we have obviously Baptist faith and message for all of our members. And uh, we, we also use a, a few affirmations and denials that are a little bit more specific. And then uh, we have even more specific doctrine statement for our, for our elders to sign off on. And we, we've loved that. Interesting. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, just to put, um, it's a sticky question, a difficult question, uh, but to put a button on it, Jeremy, to answer your question, um, if a lead pastor does change their view on a secondary issue that is stated as a local church position, um, that person probably should not be the pastor. Unless the local church is willing to somehow accommodate him, which I would not re- necessarily recommend, um, <laughs> depending on what the view is. Um, but if, if he is out of step with what organizes the church, then he you know probably needs to find another church. Um, yeah, so, okay, this comes from Sean on Facebook. Uh, Sean, uh, in a related question, how do we stay unified in a church where there is disagreement between members on, he says, secondary issues as well, <laughs> what he lists are things that I might would consider tertiary issues. He says, such as uh, soteriology, that's a big category. I'm assuming he means like how people get saved, Calvinism, Arminianism, things in between that. Uh, eschatology, probably the time in the Lord's return. He says, this seems to be a common issue in SB churches, uh, SBC churches in my area, mm-hmm. specifically over the issue of Calvinism, he says. So my wife and I are looking for a home church. We're navigating the balance of being in our community and being in a church that matches us theologically. As Calvinists, holding to the 1689, he says, we have faced some pushback from our more um, Arminian slash traditionalist SBC brothers and sisters. So how do we stay unified? Yeah in a church where there's disagreement between members on issues like that. Yeah, I think two things are helpful here. One, again, theological triage is yeah. very important. Understanding the difference between first, second, and third order theological issues uh, is very helpful. And and I think it's actually wise for our belie- our, our listeners to work through those. What, what do you consider second tier and third tier? Uh, because, you know, Jared, your and I's list might be slightly different. Yeah. And it, it's probably going to overlap quite a bit, but there might be something that you consider second tier that I consider third tier or, 
or vice versa. And I think once you have those, you kind of have a good grid to make decisions here. And then I think to, to answer his question, again, like the first answer, this is where a, con- a confessional statement that the local believers agree to is vital for church health. Yeah. Because a, a lot of people think of confession statements as divisive in nature. You know, what we're saying, you're not welcome here. And and what, what I think actually is the case most often is that is it's unifying. Yeah. We're saying we might disagree on a whole lot, but what we agree on is this confessional document. And so, again, using the BFM 2000 as an example, there's a lot that I disagree with my other Southern Southern Baptist brothers and sisters about, yeah. but we agree on that document. And so we're going to stay in fellowship together in the convention because we agree about that document. And so even in my particular local church, Emmaus here in Kansas City, there's there are members who I disagree with. I disagree with even members of my, my pastoral team, uh, fellow pastors, but we agree about the, the mission of this particular church and this particular church's covenant. And so I think that can uh, a church covenant can be unifying in a confessional sense. Yeah, I think not even just understanding um, the the levels of importance or um, you know how integral things are to our faith, right? First order doctrines, which determine whether you're a genuine Christian or not, that that define Orthodox Christianity, and second order that you can fellowship around. Third order, we can have charity and, and fellowship and still be in disagreement and those sorts of things. But also orders of of affections, orders mm-hmm. of uh, what we value um, personally. So if if I cherish Calvinism more greatly than the gospel itself, yeah. Um, and I know Spurgeon, you know, famously said Calvinism is the gospel, but anyway, he wasn't right all the time. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm probably going to get fired now when this goes out there. Um, but yeah, and in context, he you can you can see what he's he's saying. But for me, the soteriological minutia of what I believe, right, mm-hmm. um, is not as important. It's important to me, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll debate it with you know. Um, with folks and, 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 you know, because I think it's what the word teaches, those sorts of things. But it, it's not as valuable to me as the the next level up, which is justification by grace alone, through yeah. faith alone, things that um, are, are more general, but also unite us, That's right. right? So if we can agree on that, then my affections for you can now be in, in, in you know, enhanced. If I can affirm you as a brother in, in Christ, um, then I can strive to be in unity That's right. with you. And so I think the you know where this kind of division comes from, and and I'm talking about like real division. When you say how do we say unified, that doesn't mean that we're uniform, that we have the exact same views on all these you know tertiary matters. But how do we stay unified when we don't? The division happens when we elevate any issue over the gospel. That's right. You know, or or you know our our particular brand of theology over uh, the universal church, or mm-hmm. over the even the local church, over my you know, connection with you because of Christ. Mm-hmm. If I can affirm that you're a brother in Christ, then um, th- then I can strive to maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace, as Paul says. Um, I can do that, but I can't do it if I've put Christ in a subservient position. That's right. Um, which, in a way, I'm a, if I'm affirming Christ, I can affirm the Christ in you, and I, it's it's putting you in a subservient position. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not as valuable to me as my as my theological positions. Mm. Um, and so I think even having levels of of affection, level of value, like even thinking through triage that way, that Christ comes first, um, and 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 people come second. Yeah. Um, so we can love our brothers and sisters. You know, certainly um, from Sean's question, maybe there's a sense of he's uh, concerned that they're not loving him. I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, but I just think you know some of these things they don't they don't need to divide us. We can debate them. We can disagree on them. Uh, but on these sort of you know third matters. 
when, when we make idols of them or they become our identity rather than the righteousness of Christ, that's where we start running into issues. Uh, okay, well, uh, one more question before we take a break. This comes from uh, from Grace and Truth on Twitter, which is an interesting name, Grace and Truth. I uh, love that. No, I'm, I'm assuming it's a pseudonymous account here. Uh, Grace and Truth on Twitter says, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how far we pursue straying church members yeah. that land, or in some cases <laughs> hide, maybe they're tipping their hand here, uh, that land or hide in, uh, in another church. How far do we pursue straying church members? Yeah. Ronnie? Yeah, nobody leaves your church. They love your church. They <laughs> land there. Yeah, yeah they can't. I wish. Uh, <laughs> we've had a number of members leave, and and some under better conditions, some under you know worse conditions. Yeah, and that this is a question that we face, you know, because the 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 health of the church universal would be so much better if churches were unified in um, persistent church discipline and working with one another to make sure those members who are under discipline weren't hiding out in another local congregation. But basically, the way that we have treated it is if a brother or sister is removing themselves from fellowship, and let's assume let's assume the worst in her question that they're they're hiding as yeah. uh, grace and truth. I don't know why I assumed it was a her. Uh, <laughs> as, as grace yeah. and truth has said, they're hiding. And uh, what we have done in the past is they have basically excommunicated themselves, and so there's no there's no reason for major discipline there. Um, because they're doing it themselves, we will inform our members yeah. about their why they're being removed from the role, these kinds of things. And but we're not going to, you know, go into that brother's church and try to find them. But we are going to inform him. Yeah. And I think that is the responsibility of a healthy local church to inform another body, another pastor, when uh, a member is leaving under unhealthy circumstances. And yeah. and whether or not he does something with it is up to them. And uh, but I think it is their responsibility to share. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can do. When he says, how far do you pursue? I think, um, as you said, you, you contact other shepherds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Certainly, you reach out to the person and say, of course, you know, hey, yeah. you know, this is a situation. We, we'd love to see it uh, made right. You know, we'd love to have a conversation. We think you're leaving under, you know, bad circumstances or, or um, you know, and, and so can we reconcile in some way? You know, you're trying to, you know, seek restoration in that way. If they're content to leave, like they don't even talk to you, yeah. they're just gone. They went to another church. And, and, and you know. Uh, I think you, you you know you contact other shepherds, but at that point you've you've handed that off. Mm-hmm. What can you do? Yeah, um, you know this sort of idea, this misconception that you know church discipline, you know, or you know bringing in the lost sheep is something like you go kidnap them or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean just in, in a sense, as you said, you're you're just affirming their decision. Yeah, um, and and so you know in the same way that if someone comes into your church from another church, um, you hope that you're getting a a, a phone call. You know, right. from that other pastor. But if not, I think you make the phone that's call. Right. That's exactly um, right. That, you, know, you know, that's what I always did. You know, you know, people would show up at my church, and I'm discovering they're from another church. I want to know the story. That's right. And I don't automatically assume that what they tell me is the truth. It, it very well may be. Um, we had a number of refugees at our church from a particular church that was uh, in the next town over from us, and they all told the same story about why they were leaving. Mm-hmm. And it was sto- and, and they were very, um, uh, they were mature, godly people. And so over time. Um, I began to trust that, okay, there actually are some issues mm-hmm. there that, that these folks are seeking refuge from. And yet I still made contact every single time. I didn't just go, okay, well, that's a bad church, so that's yeah. why they're coming. I, I reached out. I went and met with the elders. We tried to talk through these issues. I, I assured them that I'm not uh, recruiting. Yeah, I'm not calling people trying to get them to my church. I'm not poaching, you know, that, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I just think shepherds have that responsibility Absolutely. Um, for the sheep. But once someone's determined, this is, you know, I'm, I'm not a part of your flock anymore. 
there's really nothing you can do. You, you inform your congregation, you talk to the other shepherd, but then you just hand it off. That's right. You just you, you you have to in a sense let it go, and it's sad because you do care about them, and and you know, and you are you know you feel responsible for them. You're taking um, seriously that you're going to have to give an account for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're doing your due diligence at, at some point, you're just affirming. Um, you know, people's freedom to make those decisions, whether they're good, mm-hmm. bad, or indifferent. Um, and you just have to let it go. So how far do you pursue strange church members? Uh, I think to have the conversations with fellow elders and with them as much as you're po- as much as possible, not fellow elders, with the elders of the other churches or pastor of the other church. But beyond that, there's really nothing That's that right. you can do. So, All right, let's take a break. Um, we know that you're an addict, just jonesing for that caffeine. <laughs> So we're going we're gonna to take a break. Listen to these sweet, smooth-sounding words from our host at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry contact. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. It's always weird. I cut to the ad, and the ad is me. We need you to come in here and record some ads. It's always like, yeah, yeah. Now let's hear a word from Midwestern Seminary, and then it's the same voice talking to you. <laughs> we are working on changing a few of those ads. Oh, good. So, All right. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm not in the marketing. I'm not in comms anymore. That's right. So I don't know what you guys are cooking up. You need to have somebody come in the beat laboratory. That's right. And, when you uh, make it, we'll, we'll use okay, it. Okay. <laughs> when we build the beat laboratory, it's got to be. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be good. All right. Let's continue with some uh, mailbag questions here. Uh, this is from John on Facebook. Uh, somewhat, I guess, a related question to the one that we uh, covered before the break. Um, relating to membership, basically, how do you start cleaning out non-active member roles? How do you start cleaning? Out? It's just simple. No nuance, no details. <laughs> I like John it. is desperate. That's right. Like, how do I do this? Tell yeah. me. Well, a dear friend of mine and a pastor of yours, uh, Nathan Rose, I think did this exceptionally well. And and Jared, uh, you might be a better one to tell the story because you are um, you're you're a, you're a member of that church. Yeah. But uh, I do think this is a disciplinable issue, and so I don't know if you want to share that story, but I think that, that that's the model. No, I don't know the story. Okay, so I'll share it. Yeah, I'll share it. <laughs> he did that before I came, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're lucky you weren't uh, on those rolls. But not I have my own up. story to share. But you share. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. Share. So I'll share the story of your church. Okay. And, and you can learn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. real big on church history. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Nathan Rose, a, a, a faithful, faithful friend of mine, Jared, one of Jared's pastors, uh, took over a, an old church here in Kansas City. Now, I know that. Is that what he is? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. You, you, but I don't, I don't know the process. Met this man. <laughs> yeah. His name is Nathan. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, okay. right. <laughs> yeah, so he takes over the church, and there are, uh, like many old Southern Baptist churches, there are hundreds of names that are on the rolls that are not in Sunday service. And basically what Nathan decided to do was he, he knew that health was totally on whether or not he could get the, the roles to match the membership. Yeah. And uh, I think that is a very wise move. And so he actually went through the process of church discipline with all of the names. And so he reached out to them, had members reach out to them, um, you know, 
urge them to come back, that 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 holiness in the Christian life cannot be lived uh, in alone, uh, that faithfulness in the Christian life is not lived alone, but in community with believers, not forsaking the gathering. And so he 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 treated it very seriously, didn't just, you know, cancel their their membership, but treated it as a disciplinary matter. And if they didn't come back or didn't communicate why they were leaving or that they'd gone to another church or what have you, he actually put it up to vote for the members to excommunicate after a certain number of contacts and a certain amount of time that transpired. Yeah. And I think that's a very wise way to do it. It both teaches your people uh, about the, the necessity and health of church discipline, and uh, you actually get a healthy role that matches your true membership. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'd also say, John, um, if it's not codified somehow in your bylaws that's right um that this is a necessary thing um that you should move to have it codified and mm-hmm. here's why i say that we live in a very litigious times i i have a friend who's actually uh, uh pastor of a baptist church in texas um he removed a well you know it's almost a contradiction in terms inactive member but they have a category <laughs> of inactive members and so um they removed an inactive member who had moved away even from the membership roles and she sued him and sued the church and this thing went on for years. I mean, it was like this, this dark cloud hanging over him. Um, but in the end, because he was able to show, I'm mm-hmm. operating by the bylaws of our church. That's right. right. So if you don't have it formalized somehow, um, I would move to, to begin pastoring your people, your, your current membership, your active membership, for lack of a better phrase, uh, that this is an important thing. Show them um, that you're responsible for every name on that because you're the pastor of the church or the pastors are responsible for every name on this list. And if you can't account for some of those sheep, um, that's a significant thing in, in a way for someone to be a member of a church is an affirmation of their profession of faith. And so if you don't even know the person, they're not active in your church. And it could be that they're active in some other church somewhere. They've since moved on. They just were never removed. But, you know, show your church, you, your, you know, current membership. This is an important thing. It's a spiritually significant thing. And so if it's not somehow codified, get it in your bylaws somehow, The you know, how you remove, quote unquote, inactive members or members who do not participate um, in, in, in the fellowship and, and be generous in that regard, you know, consider, you know, shut-ins and people in the military serving mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. Um, so when I went to my last church, uh, it, it was codified. They had a category for the inactive member, which again, I think is just contradicting in, in terms of anyway, we shouldn't have a category for that. But basically it was if someone had been missing for more than a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the process was laid out very briefly in the bylaws that if somebody had been missing for more than a month, uh, they should be contacted by a pastor, that sort of thing. So I inherited, this is a 200 plus year old church. I don't know the last time the, the you know, membership roles had been uh, looked at, but um, it, you know, according to the bylaws, I am bound to mm-hmm. make sure our membership roles reflect active membership. Um, so I have now this rule that I have to follow that previous pastors, for whatever <laughs> reason, have not followed. And it, you know, I didn't have every member on that list from the 200 year, you know, history of the church, but it was, you know, over a hundred something names yeah. that had, you know, hadn't, you know, not been in the church. So I began working through that list. Um, researching where every person was. Some people ha- were deceased. Mm. Some people didn't live in the area anymore. Some people uh, I, c- I could find no record of and no one in the church had ever heard of. So I'm working through the elders with all the people that I w- you know, was able to locate. They either still live in the town or they live in the area or what have you. Um, then I'm working through with the elders um, you know, certain names. And there are certain people that say, you should really go meet with that person in, in person. Um, and so I did. I, I jotted down you know, the uh, distinctions between people I wanted to make personal contact with, mm-hmm. Let, you know, let's talk about this. You're a member of the church, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we crafted a letter because there were just so many names. Of course. If, it, it, you know, if I was to devote personal 
meetings with everyone on that list that was locatable, um, that's all I would be doing for the mm-hmm. next several months and not pastoring the people who were a part of the fellowship. So we sent letters to everyone else, and, and the letter didn't say, we're kicking you out of the church. The letter said, according to our bylaws, et cetera, et cetera, we notice you've been at, you know, um, uh, inactive for more than a month. And the reality is most of those people had not been in the church for multiple years. Of course. There was nobody who more than a month. It was more than a year, two years, three years, in, in some cases much longer than that. Uh, they get a letter that says, we would love to have a conversation with you if you're still interested in being a member of the church. At, at which point we could walk through the statement of faith, all those sorts of things, and kind of do a membership interview, mm-hmm. with, you know. Um, and so it didn't say we're kicking you out. It just said, this is what we'd like to do if you're still interested. And then it said, if if, if you don't respond or you're not interested, you'll be removed in one month's time for the membership role. So I, I expressed it as gently as I could, as winsomely as I could. It didn't go over very well with a lot of people who just thought, I'm getting kicked out of this church that I haven't attended in four years, But yeah. which is just weird that people, yeah. you know, would cherish those things. Um, but I think you just – you. You start, I think, by making sure you have um, a good sense among your current membership and fellow leaders of what membership is, that it's not participation in in kind of a social club, um, that it's not like, you know, as long as you pay your dues, you know, you don't have to show up to meetings or or something like that. The way people think about church membership is just so odd and Americanized versus biblically what it is Mm -hmm. that you're covenanting with people to gather to worship Christ together and you're, you're serving each other and loving each other. Um, that you would never gather um, is 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 like the first red flag that mm-hmm. you don't understand what membership is, um, but get it codified if it's not, and then begin working through what your responsibilities are to do your due diligence. I would not send letters out telling people simply we're removing you from the yeah. church. Um, I mean, I think it, I guess in some cases that might be appropriate, but in general, invite them into a conversation, but then give them what the consequences of not engaging that are, which mm-hmm. is that we will remove you. That sort of thing. But use it as a way to try to maybe rope in. You know, you, you don't know. I didn't have anyone come back into the church through the, even those personal conversations. Uh, typically, those people had doctrinal reasons. or I mean, they weren't believers, most of them. Um, but, you know, a, a few folks just weren't interested. Mm-hmm. The people that I met with personally, none of them were angry about anything. Um, they found it confusing. They didn't understand church membership. But I didn't have anyone get mad at me. Mm-hmm. The people who got mad are the ones who got letters. Um, which again is, is odd since I said, let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, they just thought my name's on a list. I'm good. So you're doing your due diligence to actually have spiritual conversations with people who may have a false sense of their own conversion. Um, but you also may see some sheep come back into the fold mm-hmm. because a shepherd has reached out to them. So I think that's how you start. Um, you, you can start that way. Okay. This question comes from Doug on Twitter. Um, really important question. I think how, how do you, uh, he says, how do I bring up a sabbatical? at our church without making it seem like I just want more vacation time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a good question. My first question. response is, what's wrong with more vacation yeah, that's time? that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a good question. And, and Jared, you'd probably be better to answer this than I would. Um, but I, for me, again, this was a, an area where fellow pastors was helpful. Having an elder team was helpful because yeah. um, there, there was a time, even as I was beginning my PhD studies, so I'm, you know, I'm, full-time here at Midwestern doing a PhD and, and a pastor. And so that, that's obviously a full schedule. And there, there I, I foresaw a very busy season, both with work and PhD studies and told, told my pastors, I would love, you know, it wasn't a huge, a huge ask for a huge sabbatical, but it was six to eight weeks of basically no church work uh, so that I could focus elsewhere. Now, most pastors, when they're asking for a sabbatical, it's not so they can focus elsewhere so they can actually get a little bit of soul reprieve, yeah. you know, and, and renewal for themselves. But, um, but 
what, what I saw in that scenario was my pastors know me, they know my heart, they know my love for the people, and they know that I know myself. And they, they saw that I needed a break, and uh, they, they shepherded me well through that. Yeah. I, I just want to sympathize with Doug here in his predicament because, uh, you know, I'm not a pastor anymore, but when I was, bringing up any, um, anything that you needed for your own emotional health uh, is always a tricky thing because you don't want to sound self-serving. He says, you know, what it makes it seem like I just want more vacation time. That's right. And just even, the, you know, you know, phrasing it that way, I feel for him because there are pastors who need more vacation time. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid to say it because it sounds selfish or they're lazy or whatever it comes across. Everything, everything gets spiritualized in the yep. church environment. And in places where in any other work environment, you could go to your boss and say, look, I've been working here for eight years. I only get a you know two weeks. I'd love to have three weeks of vacation. I think, you know, can we talk about that or mm-hmm. whatever it is? And, hey, you're all, you know, that's a legitimate thing you, you might ask. They might say no, but in the church, like, we don't do that right. because it's unspiritual. Or, and it's just, man, think about your family. Think about your own health. Think about the longevity, you know, longevity of your time in the church. Mm-hmm. I think with a lot of congregations – uh, misunderstand is that investing in their pastors this way is actually investing in their longevity yeah, there. That's right. you, know, you can say no to all these things and make sure he's really on a tight leash and, you know, that he doesn't get too big for his britches and all those sorts of things. And, you, you know, basically investing in his quick burnout mm-hmm. or his quick exit from your church. Um, so, you know, obviously you don't want a lazy pastor. You don't, you don't want a pastor who's not serious about, you know, his work and those sorts of things. But if you've got an ordinary faithful pastor, uh, you know, blessing them this way is an investment in them and their family. But also in your church, it's good mm-hmm. for your church to have a healthy pastor, an emotionally healthy pastor, a spiritually healthy pastor. So I would say to you, Doug, um, um, you know, I, I totally understand. I sympathize with you in terms of it seeming self-serving to ask for these things yourself. Um, and so if there is a nut, if there's a member, a church member, or someone else who can advocate for you, um, obviously sometimes you, you you might fear the danger of that you're you know that someone else would think you're you know manipulating them or they're coming to be your mouthpiece. Uh, and you're the puppet master or whatever it is. But uh, if there's somebody who can advocate for you, um, that sometimes is received better, that somebody is able to say, this isn't, you know, this benef- this doesn't benefit me directly, it benefits our pastor, and here's why I think it's a good thing. Um, about s- sabbaticals specifically, a lot of churches have no clue this is even a thing. That's right. They don't know what a sabbatical is. They never heard of it. And so doing some history on it, some research on it to be prepared, um, to be able to share with somebody says, what is that? Why would we do that? What's the difference between that and vacation? Mm-hmm. Those sorts of things um, that you've got um, some anecdotal evidence from other pastors who who get sabbaticals or take sabbaticals. Traditionally, um, a pastor's first sabbatical, however long it may be, is, a, is about year seven. Um, I know I have a lot of friends who their first significant sabbatical was at year seven of, of ministry. And then every year after that, they get a shortened amount of time, but they get a significant amount of time, usually during the summer or something. It's different for different churches and different pastors. But if you can find an advocate um, who can do that for you, typically a, a member of the church, um, so a, a, a layperson, maybe they're in, in, in some kind of leadership, but a, a layperson who is well-respected by the other members mm-hmm. who can advocate for you. But if you just don't have that person, um, I, I think it's fine to ask for it yourself because um, – you know, it, it, it is a helpful thing, um, you know, paint it not just as uh, I want to go on vacation. You know, we really want to go to you know Disney World or something like that, <laughs> even though you may do that on your sabbatical. I think that's fine. Um, but paint it as um, recovery, rest. Uh, you may want to find some anecdotal, uh, some testimonies of, of guys who've come back from sabbaticals who feel rejuvenated, mm-hmm. ready to engage in the ministry of their church with with new passion and, 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 uh, and fresh energy. That typically is the is the thing. So I think it. 
if churches are able to understand that, they wouldn't be as skeptical or, right. or, or confused about it. Uh, the one note that I would give, one tip I would give is not to hem in what a sabbatical is or what you have to do on one. Uh, a lot of pastors use them for study time, working on a book project or mm-hmm. uh, or something like that, finish up their education, something. Um, but I would not hem in to say a sabbatical has to be that. I think it depends on the pastor, season of life. Um, it could be, you know, when you say, I just want more vacation time, it could be that you need to just get away with your family mm-hmm. um, and do nothing. Um, that's That's really helpful. I mean, that's what I mean, the word Sabbath is in sabbatical. It's supposed to be rest. Mm-hmm. So around here, the academics take sabbaticals, and I'm like, I don't ever want one of those because you got to, like, say, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And then when you come back, you got to say how many pages you wrote, how many books you wrote. how many, And I'm like, man, like it's harder work being on sabbatical than it is just regular <laughs> academic life. I never want an academic sabbatical because the word – brothers, the word Sabbath is in the word. You are not resting. But the pastoral sabbatical, it you know, it can be a time of, of, of focused production. As you said, I'm trying to get certain things done, finished, or or uh, whatever. But I, I, you know, I think leave it somewhat flexible, um, you know, based on season of life. But I think having a plan, being able to communicate, this is what I'm going to do. This is what what I plan to use it for. This is why it's important. Um, I think all those things are important to communicate on the front end, and that you're able to give a report when you come back. Hey, I, I it was really great for my marriage to spend a lot of mm-hmm. time with my with my wife and 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 those sorts of things. Um, and uh, yeah, and and. Yeah, you know, I think that's how you how you start. That's how you bring it up. In other words, um, okay. Final question before we get to our teaser hot potato. <laughs> uh, this is from Josh on Facebook. Uh, Josh says, "What are good reasons to leave a church?" We just talked about straying church members. Uh, what are some good reasons to leave a church? And I think he's talking about um, this is. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is Josh, uh, your pastor, or or, the, or, or lead pastor. Uh, with oh, one really? of your this is Hedger. So I don't know if he's tipping his hand about something. All right. Like he's he's sorting through. Hedger, there's no good reason for you to leave the church. <laughs> Josh Hedger, stay where you are. Uh, no, I, I think he's talking about church members. It's a very good question, actually. What are good reasons for church members who are sorting through leaving the church? Yeah. What, are good, what are good reasons to leave a church? <laughs> That's a good question. And, and one of wisdom, again, I think the uh, theological triage helps us here because I think there's doctrinal reasons to leave the church. I think there's missional reasons to leave the church. And I think there's relational reasons to leave the church. That, that are, I know. That's good. What's a covenant? That's a blog you know? post right there. You need to write that. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I think uh, I think that there, there are reasons within all three of those spheres that would make it legitimate and and healthy for a church member to leave. Doctrinal, obviously, if if that church is is teaching things that are false, right? Not not just like against your preference or your theological brand, right. but but legitimately false teaching, what we would use the, the term heretical for, uh, anti-biblical teaching, or if there's no biblical teaching, yeah. right? If you're, if you're attending a church that um, is, is giving you 20-minute self-help uh, sermonettes on Sunday morning, and we define a church as uh, where the right ordinances practice and the right preaching of the word, then you probably aren't even attending a church anyway, yeah. so go ahead and leave. Wow. Um, but uh, so I think there's doctrinal reasons to leave. I think there's missional reasons to leave. Uh, if if your church is is not about the conversion of sinners to saints, I think that's a reason to leave. And yeah. I think that uh, we need to be obedient on an individual level, and we need to be obedient on a, um, an institutional level as in the, the task of global evangelism. And so I think there's missional reasons to leave the church. Another uh, just missional reason to leave the church is if you're, you know, if you're if you're driving past. 10 really healthy churches on your 45 minute drive to mm. your local body of choice, then that might be a missional reason to leave your church. Uh, obviously work with your pastors there and work with the pastors that you might be going to, 
But th- there is something to be said for living somewhat close to your church uh, and in a way that could advance the mission in, in your particular area. So I yeah. think that would be another missional reason. And then relational. If you don't believe that you or a family member is safe uh, for some relational reason, that there's other things to do, but leaving is one of them. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, if there is a, um, yeah, there's the whole host of relational reasons that would be legitimate. Now that that one can be, I think that should really be submitted to the authority of the pastors there because, uh, you know, someone like me who's uh, averse to conflict could, could you know, find a lot of room in that, <laughs> in that <laughs> yeah. excuse, yeah. Uh, you know, to, to mm-hmm. leave a church. But uh, I think under the submission of the elders, if they agree with you, there's relational reason for you to leave. I think that could be wise. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think on your last note to that, when you're looking at leadership, if they're teaching something that's doctrinally false, I don't mean necessarily that, um, you know, you disagree with a particular interpretation of a, you know, the passage in that sermon or something like that. But uh, we're talking about like first, second order doctrines, uh, things that would compromise the integrity of the church. It's it's false teaching, in other words, if not heresy. Those are reasons to leave. That's right. Um, but I also think among leadership, if there is patterns of unrepentant sin, right, the doctrinal P's and Q's are all minded very well. And yet mm-hmm. um, you've got um, uh, men who are not qualified. That's right. And they have disqualified themselves in some way. So there's patterns of sin. I don't mean like they lost their temper once upon a time, but there's patterns of sin um, that would bring into question their qualification. Um, those are things to be addressed through the recourses that you have. And a lot of times people just don't have any recourse for those things, but address those things um, that they might repent. But if you have unrepentant leadership, so the, the doctrine's great, um, but they're not self-controlled or, uh, you know, they, they're short-tempered mm-hmm. uh, or they're given to drunkenness, whatever, you know, the, the, you know, the thing is, if there's unrepentance there, that's a reason to leave as well. Um, but I also think um, for those who um, are thinking about leaving their church for doctrinal reasons, typically it's something a little unstated, almost what you said about there's no biblical teaching. Or mm-hmm. um, So I hear from those folks quite a bit, actually, because of the, the writing I've done on, on, on attractional type stuff. I get messages almost on a weekly basis, at least once a week, from someone who's thinking about leaving their church, and they're and they and they're asking, "How do I know when to go?" Yeah, and it's like, "Hey, our statement of faith is fine." Like you go on the website, you look at the statement of faith; everything's orthodox. If I quizzed my pastor on these things, he would be orthodox, and yet he's not preaching the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, the music is self-centered. Whatever it is, there's a there's a consumeristic, there's an attractional kind of thing going on. And, man, I was in that situation, and it was very difficult, especially since uh, a lot of these folks have given uh, their time. Uh, you know, I was in a particular church for about 10 years, and part of it was like, man, I've devoted a decade to this place. I can't give up on it so easily. Yeah. And so they're beginning to sort through, like, can I even be a missionary for the gospel in this church? Can I help reevangelize the church? And the reality is very often the answer is no. Um, if you're not in a place of influence, a significant place of influence, um, probably by recommending books and complaining is not going to change the pastor's vision and make him understand That's right. that he ought to be gospel-centered or whatever you think you ought to be doing, preaching expositionally or, or, or what have you. So things that wouldn't compromise somebody's salvation necessarily, but make for a healthy church, I think, is really what we're talking about. And if by conscience and conviction you find yourself given more to complaint than you do to encouragement or even to be on mission, I think there is a place sometimes for people, and I think particularly in the Northeast, I know a lot of believers who are at less than perfect churches, less than healthy churches, because they think if I leave this church, the gospel's gone. Mm. And so I, I want to serve some sort of influence here. And you may say, hey, man, that's not healthy for you. But when there aren't any options in your town legitimately, uh, or you want to have some kind of remnant available, um, you know, I, 
you know, coming to the church that I came to in Vermont, I was only the fourth really solidly evangelical pastor in a row. And that was because three pastors before me, there was a remnant of Christians in the church who just, who, who decided we want a pastor who preaches the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now imagine mm-hmm. if they had left once upon a time after this, you know, succession of pastors who didn't really preach the yeah. Bible and the church was run kind of like a social club or something. If they had just left, abandoned the thing, the church itself probably wouldn't even be open anymore. Mm-hmm. It would be just like any other New England church that is now a coffee shop or an art gallery or something. But there was a, a remnant of Christian families who said, this is our church. We're not leaving. We're, we're going to endure under bad teaching and, and, and unhealthy membership and everything else. And when we have our shot, we're going to get a, uh, you know, a pastor who preaches the Bible. Mm-hmm. And they righted the ship. So that can happen. Yeah. Um, I would say it's probably rare, but it can happen. Uh, and yet, and if by conscience and conviction, uh, you've determined like my, my kids. So for us in leaving our church in, in Nashville at that time, it was we're raising our kids in a church where they're not hearing the Bible. They're not hearing the gospel. That was significant to us. Mm-hmm. If perhaps a different life stage, we might have stuck it out longer. Um, but we determined it was it was healthier for our, our family to be in a church where the Bible was preached, which for us meant planning a church. actually. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's, you know, um, uh, several good reasons, but there's also bad reasons. Right. So maybe we, you know, I don't know if we with just like two or three minutes we have left. What are some bad reasons to leave a church? Yeah, I think uh, some of them are, are relatively obvious. But, you know, we, we have seen people leave churches for uh, what, what can only be described as pragmatic reasons. You know, their, their preferences aren't being met. Yeah. There's a program they desire that, that isn't being offered. Uh, they, or even what I said earlier, they're, they're averse to conflict and they have some kind of awkward interaction. It might not even be that substantial, but they just don't want to deal with the awkwardness of being in the same area as that brother or sister. And so they'd rather just flee the thing than to, you know, reconcile in any substantial way. And so I think all of these are, are, you know, and, and within, within each one of those, there's a hundred different ways that, that, that plays out, but those are all in my mind, unhealthy reasons to leave. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's just that personal slight, you know, That's I, don't, right. I don't feel this or I don't feel that. Mm-hmm. Or you're comparing it to a previous church. I hear that a lot. Man, we had such a uh, a great experience at our previous church, and it doesn't feel the same. And so mm-hmm. you go looking for this comparison. Um, you know, n- no church is the ideal church. That's right. Um, and so to commit to this family, uh, warts and all, um, you know, if they're teaching faithfully, and, um, you know, they're, you know, pursuing health diligently. Um, I think to commit there means that, that you, you've committed there. That's right. I've committed here until it really costs me something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I'm going to go somewhere else. That's a consumeristic That's mindset. Right. So, okay. Um, last topic, cold take. <laughs> Kanye, man. Oh, man. So this is coming out in January. Those would be two months from the hot. This is why I don't want to do a hot take. <laughs> yeah. I just want to do like three minutes maybe. Yeah. On the phenomenon, not just a, not about Kanye, right? I, although I'm going to call this the Kanye episode <laughs> by January, maybe. <laughs> like, this is a Kanye episode. And people are listening through, like, church what? roles, members, what? <laughs> what is he talking about? I want to call it the Kanye episode just to get a lot of clicks because we're all about the traffic and the buzz. Um, but, okay, so I, I don't, yeah. Let's just use him as a pretense. Okay. Celebrity conversion. Yeah. What What do you think? What do you do? Yeah. You don't even have to mention him specifically. Yeah. But somebody famous says, I'm a Christian now. Yeah. What is your immediate Man, reaction? I've, I've, I, gone, I've gone this far without saying anything publicly. About I know. We don't Kanye. do blog posts on Kanye. No, we didn't so, do anything yeah. at FTC. So. And, and there's a reason why I'm doing it on this episode, which is coming out in two months. because yeah. Cold I, takes. Yeah, cold take. Cold takes with Jared and Ron. There's nothing better than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like cold coffee. That's right. Uh, yeah. 
for those of you who have forgotten, because this is so cold, uh, there was <laughs> who's Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, hopefully by the time this happens, Kanye's conversion has led to hundreds of celebrity well, conversions. Well, my fear is though something terrible. He's going to say something awful and Christians will have to disavow him. And here we are like, Kanye's a Christian. You know, <laughs> too much. <laughs> a lot can happen. The new cycle, ha- you know, life happens really fast, Yeah, which is why I don't want to do too much of a hot takey thing on him, but just use that as a pretense to talk yeah. about celebrity conversion. Like what yeah, do you do? I think celebrity conversions feel a lot like any conversion and, and what I mean by that is there's the there's the tension between rejoicing with heaven that yeah. uh, a sinner has turned into a saint and a uh, those who are dead are now alive. We celebrate that, right? Yeah. And we know that that's nothing short of a miracle. And I like the mantra that you know I've heard around social media and in other places that you know if you think your conversion is any more likely than Kanye's, there's probably something wrong, or you don't under, really understand your own depravity. Okay. Um, is there a place for skepticism at all? Yes. Okay. Th- that's what I'm saying. Okay. The, the tension is excel- celebrating, and being excited, and the tension that we would have with any new believer. <laughs> you yeah, know that's that, what I'm saying. The skepticism should not be much different. That's right. Yeah. Than it would be if anyone comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm a Christian now." Yes, that's exactly yeah. right. Okay. I- I'm going to watch and. Uh, in the same way that I'm going to, you know, pray and hope the best of that person who's confessed that they're, you know, been converted. I'm going to assume yeah. they're telling the truth, and then I'm going to disciple towards that that you know, that end. Yeah. And so that that's kind of been my posture here. I I do think it is fascinating, and yeah. just the the stakes that are you know yeah. at play here and the cultural role he plays. It's fascinating. I hope it's real. There's some things. There's some kinks to work out. He has said a few things which, um. To me, it's it's typical of like new believers. Their theology is not all straight. That's out. right. Yeah. The difference is he has this huge platform, yeah. so everyone's listening to everything he says. So yeah. when, um, and this is I think even before I don't know if it was before his conversion, but before he was sort of public with his conversion, some of the stuff he said, you know, slavery was a choice. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. He says yeah. slavery is a choice, and so he's he's he, you know he's lost the black community, and I think he should have on that you know subject for sure have lost. Um, you know, no matter what your color is, sensible thinking. Yeah. Right. right. Slavery is not a choice. Right. So there's just this huge skepticism where he was sort of ousted, uh, you know, uh, um, because of that. So I don't know what his thinking is, like if that's pre-conversion, post, mm-hmm. if there's a lot of things he's sorting out politically as well. He's just going through this life, yep. you know, stage change. Um, he said a, a couple other things that, are, you know, someone mentioned uh, about prosperity. You know, the Lord blessed him with, you know, $60 million tax return or something Same. like that. So it's like, what <laughs> tribe is he going to end up? I mean, it's like it's up in the air. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. he's saying kooky things. and. New believers say kooky things. Yeah. The difference is this guy, every word he says gets publicized. That's right. Whereas the people in your church who say kooky things, you can kind of take them aside and say, yeah. hey, look. So I'm trusting. Um, I, I think the best thing for Kanye, and I, I actually like the album that he put out. Um, I like the simplicity of it, the actually uncoolness of yeah, it. Yeah, I love what you said there, Jerry. Yeah. It felt like a Christian who hasn't learned to be embarrassed of their faith That's yet. exactly right. That was like, great. He, he, yeah, he has no compunction about just, you know, saying what he believes and yeah. it's a little rough around the edges and that sort of thing. But I really think the best thing for him would be to kind of go away for a couple of years. Uh, he doesn't need the money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He, he can coast off of his Yeezy sneakers. Or <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's things he can do to make money, yeah. even if it's just living off the money he's got. But, That's right. there, you know, he has other means of income. So he doesn't need the money for a couple of years to just commit to some, you know, quiet discipleship, submit to a church leadership, to be a church member. My fear and concern, even if hundreds or thousands, they said at this last rally uh, from the time of this recording, uh, you know, profess faith in response to a gospel presentation. That's fantastic. 
Um, I don't think he needs to be a Christian spokesperson, mm-hmm. as any new believer shouldn't be, mm-hmm. right? I know he's not a pastor or anything like that, but I, I, I kind of wish that he would go away and be discipled for a little bit. Not because I don't like him or think he needs yeah, to shut up or whatever, but just because that's what new believers need mm-hmm. is is care. They don't need to be spokespeople for us. So that's kind of the concern that I have, um, and I hope that it's genuine. Uh, I, I hope that it's real. And then just the last note that I would say is um, if he is genuinely converted, and I hope that he is and I trust that he is, uh, if he is, like we finally got a good celebrity or like a fa- <laughs> or actually there's this phenomenon. Whenever whenever celebrities become Christians, it's always like they're on the back end of their career. Yeah. And I think there's a reason. There's a there's a theory I have about that, which is like all their crutches are gone. Yeah. All the things they had for validation are gone. So we end up with the Judge Reinholds and the Gary Buseys and the, you know, some of those guys. Uh, you see them all, you know, Gary Busey shows up on TBN and you're like, well, of course, yeah. <laughs> where else is Gary Busey going to, so I don't even know about the veracity of those guys' faith, but we always get like the C-list guys. Yeah. This is the first, like if you've been praying for Tom Cruise to become a Christian, <laughs> this is the, this is like Tom Cruise becoming a Christian. Is that this what you've been praying for, Jared? What? Have well, you been praying I'm, for Tom I mean, Cruise? I refer, I'm not, no, it's Tom Brady, actually. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even joking. I pray that Tom Brady oh, will I'm get not, saved. I would never assume And I've actually there. heard from, um, yeah, uh, uh, you, you know, Christian influences on the team that um, are, are trying to make good inroads. There's players yeah. who, uh, you know, have Bible studies and those sorts of things. Um, but there's also training staff and, and, and what have you that I've heard from. Um, so I'm praying for his his salvation. I hope that he'll he'll get saved. But yeah, this is like so it's like an A list guy. Yeah. Who by some ranks is like top ten, you know, you know, hip hop artist of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's considered a genius, or at least you you know he was. Um, and 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 maybe we got one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's validation. Like I don't think like hey Christianity is cool. In fact, I wrote a post yeah. about that. You know, recently, like we shouldn't, you know, uh, uh, for Lifeway Voices, where I like, we, you know, a celebrity becoming a Christian shouldn't be validation for us, yeah, uh, yeah. or anything like that. Our hope is not in, in celebrity. But I just think, hey, maybe it's a it's a win. We finally got a good one, yeah, or not a <laughs> good one's not the right word, but an actually famous one, yeah, who's like on the crest of their career. <laughs> so anyway, I, on that, I note, like that you started this podcast comparing coffee to cocaine, and you're ending it with, with ranking, Kanye. Ranking it's the coffee, cocaine, and Kanye episode. Oh man! Oh, that's what I'm going to title it: clicks. coffee, cup, cocaine, and Kanye. <laughs> People will, man, they will listen by droves. Hey, thanks so much for you listening. If you've stuck it out uh, to the end, uh, we really appreciate you. We hope that you will be uh, having a great year full of the Lord's blessings, strengthening in your faith, commitment to your local church. Um, And on that note, we do pray, we do ask uh, that Jesus would be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.